Today, we will be speaking with Danny Kim. He will get us started with an introduction and a little background about himself, and then we will jump into the questions. I hope you enjoy the talk. My name is Danny Kim. I'm an assistant professor uh, in the strategy area at the Darden School of Business at the University of Virginia. Um, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Um, spent time uh, in Boston for undergrad, uh, which I did at Harvard, and then uh, worked in consulting and hospital administration uh, for several years prior to going back to uh, do my PhD, which I finished at the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota. Um, my primary sort of research areas um, are in terms of healthcare delivery, um, uh, using the US healthcare system as my primary research context, and more recently looking at applications of blockchain technology particularly in decentralized organizing and Web 3.0. What is the most important factor in a company's growth? <laughs> so this is um, it's a very, very loaded question. Um, so, you know, you've caught me where we are. I literally just came out of a meeting um, to prep for our next two classes of the first year MBA strategy course here at Darden. And um, we just got done talking about the importance of industry, right? So like historically, when we think about uh, firm performance or firm size or, you know, why do certain firms look this way? Um, you know, in history, a lot of that has been attributed to industry, that certain industries uh, look a particular way. And that explains a lot of firm performance. And, you know, in fact, a lot of research has um, demonstrated that industry matters a ton, right? So one of the primary factors in a firm's performance or its growth or growth potential, um, you know, is, is industry. Like what sort of, um, what game is it playing? Um, what sort of technologies or business models um, is it using? And, you know, who are the competitors, right? Like, so understanding uh, where that firm is can explain a lot. Now, of course, when we when we think about business strategy, it's way more about what is it that individual firms can do versus like just saying like, oh, we're in a particular industry, we can't help it. Um, but so, you know, if you to the answer that question directly, a lot of a lot of growth or a lot of just performance overall is going to be attributable to industry. And then when we think about what individual firms can do, I think. You know, one that gets taken for granted a lot is firms, a company's desire to grow, right? I think that can't be um, overlooked is that not all firms are trying to grow. Um, many are, right? And we expect that many do want to grow and that many will grow. Um, but I think that's, a, that's an important thing that oftentimes gets sort of swept under the rug or we focus on these large publicly traded or you know, these stellar, like unicorn-like um, startup companies all the time. And we forget that, you know, most businesses are relatively small, medium-sized businesses. Many are really just focused on local communities, whether they be geographic or virtual. Um, so that desire for growth, I think, is a, a really important piece. Um, and then, you know, and this is going to sound a little bit vague, and it might not be as direct an answer as maybe you're hoping but I think it, it ultimately comes down to um, what is the value that they are providing 
to their customers or to society. And based on that value, how much of that um, in that exchange, how much are they able to appropriate, right? So it's like, if I am a firm and providing some amount of value to my consumers or society, um, there's some exchange that I expect to happen in return, usually in the form of payment. Um, but in that exchange, there are a lot of frictions, right? That are gonna take value out of the system. And so it's about understanding how much, how, how have a, has a company designed its business model or designed these sort of supporting structures and systems to appropriate as much of the value uh, as they can in order to kind of continue to fuel, fuel that growth. But I think the, you know, that starts with what is it that they're providing? And so if what they're providing is limited, say by like, there's only X number of people in the world that actually want this thing, that actually value this thing, well, that's gonna cap growth, right? So I think the, the sort of equation begins there with what are they, what is it of value that they're, that they're offering? Um, and then what's the other side of that equation? How much are they able to appropriate? So obviously if there's a lack of demand for a product or service, then they might not be able to grow much, but there are companies that have high demand for their product and are growing such as big tech companies, but they don't turn profits. So how is a company that is not able to turn a profit able to still grow? <laughs> so one of the things I, could, I should recommend you to is also then to speak with uh, maybe one of my colleagues or someone there in finance, because they, they'll have uh, um, a lot of other ways in which, you know, a firm can accomplish this. Um, but I think, you know, growth and profitability Right. Or or even to a certain extent, um, growth and right, you can measure growth in so many in any number of ways. Um, there has for a really long time, right? Like not necessarily it, it's not been a requirement of a company to be profitable for it to grow its revenue base, for it to grow its employee size, to grow the customer base or the number of stakeholders that it's serving. Um, you know, part of that is simply because many of these companies are valued um, or are able to get lines of financing based on the prospect of future profitability, right? And so there is a lot of sort of forward-looking, um, I mean, investment, essentially, that goes into fueling these companies to grow. Um, you know, one of the, the things that we see a lot, lot, of, lot today with these tech companies, especially very like software oriented tech companies um, is that in order for them to achieve that sort of, I don't know about critical mass, but maybe that, that sort of right size of customer served or active users on a platform, let's say, they have to hit a certain point in order for then the business model to really start working, right? For that business model to turn a profit. Until then, it's about putting money into the system so that it can attain that sort of customer base, it can scale to the size at which all of a sudden, now the average cost you know, per user, average cost per whatever comes way down and the value that's being provided can be sort of exponentially scaled through this massive network of connected users. You know, that's a lot of tech businesses. So when you think about like even a Netflix, there are, um, there are a lot of businesses that really fundamentally rely on that, that phenomenon of, you know, really scaling to the point where some of these costs come way down 
or kind of on the flip side, where the value of the data that they're able to collect or that the information that they're, um, the insights that they derived on their customers become so valuable and so unique that then, you know, maybe that that becomes another sort of value proposition to other sorts of um, stakeholders, right? But there, I mean, that's part of it. You can, you can pump money into a business, doesn't necessarily have to be profitable. You just have to keep having cash flows coming in, right? Like there's gotta be a continuous investment um, into a business. And a lot of that is, again, just due to the, the prospect of future profitability. And going back to the idea of desirable growth. So if there is a business that is looking to grow and wants to expand, is it inevitable that they expand into foreign markets or is it possible for a business to grow domestically? Well, you know, that's the sort of question, Max, where if you were in my class, I would I would turn that right back at you and ask you, like, what do you think? Um, I think, you know, one thing is, I don't believe in absolutes when it comes to strategy. Um, that being said, right, depending on the industry that you're in, or let's say you have some sort of revenue targets or, you know, um, user or customer number targets, it may very well be that um, in order to achieve that certain, that number or that goal that you have in mind, you need to look beyond your sort of state boundaries or your local market boundaries or even national boundaries to achieve that to achieve that goal. I don't necessarily think it's a foregone conclusion, but I think these days more and more people are thinking about um, how much does the value that I'm offering to my existing customers, how well does that travel, right? How transferable is that without really having to attend to the, the local nuances of a new um, national market, right? Or even a new regional market. Um, and so it, it's, it's always, I think, um, it's always an option for many of these businesses, especially tech businesses. I think it's always on people's minds. Um, and the the internet and all of these sort of value-added services that we have on the internet to make these sorts of transactions easier only makes this a more even more viable or attractive option when you're when you're talking about growth. And is this expansion beyond their local market, state, or domestic market? Is this something that companies struggle with? Like how responsive are foreign markets to the same things that are working in their own local area? Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that companies have always struggled with and continue to struggle with, right? Just because you have a service that in theory or in principle should do well in any market, uh, right? That there's there's always a difference between planning and implementation, right? Or you know, planning and execution. And I think, um, you know, in that particular case of, of Netflix that that you um, that you found, one of the things that we use the, the case of Netflix to to teach our students is this idea of uh, local responsiveness, um, right? In, in terms of how much how much does your service or your product offering have to kind of tap into the nuances of a local market? Right, so we can do all of this strategic analysis um, and understanding that the the nuances and the competitive forces at play, let's say here in the U.S. or in Western Europe, um, maybe when you move into a country in Africa, you're dealing with a completely different set of regulations, competitors, preferences, 
And, and so how much is just that, hey, there's a latent demand for this product that we've previously not offered in Africa or in this, Afri uh, like, let's say like Nigeria versus how much, like, are they already kind of satisfied with what they have? Or does our product not really fit into the way in which the local customers consume different services like that we would compete against? And so this is an incredibly difficult thing for many companies to do. I think certain industries, certain types of products, right? It becomes harder, um, especially when there is a lot more um, customer, like let's say customers have to actively sort of learn about a product or you have to, you're trying to sell something that is um, out of the ordinary, right? It's not like a, it's not something that already exists in that market. So when there's that sort of education um, or maybe behavior change that is required, that can be incredibly challenging um, when it is, you know, something that maybe all you really need is to translate a couple of documents and the sort of base functionality uh, of, a, of a product or a service um, can easily be ported over, you know, that may be less so. But then again, like as you enter a new market, it's not just about getting your product out there or getting people to buy it. Then it's about you, you enter a new market, you expose yourself to a new set of stakeholders, right? So it's not just your customers. It will be your competitors. It will be regulators. It will be understanding the ways in which, um, how are you going to get paid, right? It's just payment processing or is it, a, is it more of a cash, um, cash market or, you know, how pervasive are certain sorts of um, digital payment infrastructures? Like all of those things can can creep up nowadays, um, and if a company is really not prepared for it, well, you know that's going to increase your cost. That's going to increase your likelihood of failure. Um, or it's why you see many many intermediaries spring up to try to help companies entering new markets try to navigate, you know, that sort of process. So yeah, it's extremely challenging. Many companies do not do it well. That's why you you often see so many times like companies will enter try out a product launch and then decide it's not going to work and they're going to exit. How do companies deal with competition? Yeah. Um, so that question, um, I, I laugh a little bit because that question is essentially, you know, um, that is the reason why um, strategy exists as a field, right? It's, it's all about understanding um, right. All we do in, in strategy, right, the, the primary purpose is trying to understand why is it that um, some firms perform better than others, right? And what are, what are they doing? What do they have? Um, what are the circumstances in which they're operating, which lead them to these sort of abnormal returns or this abnormal performance? Um, because, again, prior to that, a lot of it was just based on like, hey, just look at the industry. This is what the industry average company looks like and is doing. And now it's about really going more individualistic onto the firms. And so there are myriad ways, right, in which companies deal with competition, right? Um, I think when we, when we look back, um, you know, what I think when you think of competition, you, you sort of think of this sort of antagonistic response, first and foremost, right? That if um, you and I are in competition, then what you do, I'm going to, I'm going to perceive as a threat or something that potentially is going to harm my, my status, right? That if you are growing your market share, then that's going to hurt mine, right? 
And it's a very like, simplistic way. But I, you know, I think to a large extent, when, when you think about firms in competition, there is a lot of that thinking. Um, you know, over time, like obviously we've developed a much greater nuanced understanding of how firms compete. There is um, a ton of collaboration that happens within firms, uh, happens across firms, right? That especially, you know, let's, let's say um, a, a new industry, um, well, maybe like, even like streaming video on demand or thinking back to the Web3 stuff. So looking at cryptocurrency or different sorts of like decentralized applications. To a certain extent, even though many of these different projects or companies are going to be in competition with one another, there is also this idea that hey, we need this industry as a whole to grow and be protected, right? This, this sort of like all boats rise mentality. So there is collaboration that happens in the form of uh, industry associations, in the form of lobbying, in the form of like conferences and meetings where people can share knowledge and talk to one another about um, developments uh, in their industry or in related fields. Um, so it, there is a lot of that that happens even though these companies are competing, right? They're com like AMD and, and, and NVIDIA will be, oh, and, and Intel, they'll be, you know, butting heads like really strongly, like the intense rivalry that exists. At the same time, there is going to be, right, like they're in the same industry, right, to protect the the growth or the future prospects of that industry, there is going to be some collaboration and knowledge sharing. Um, so, you know, the, 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 this question that you ask is an incredibly uh, loaded one. Um, and so I guess the only other thing I could say to you is that, right, there are these sort of broad buckets of you just want everything that a competitor does is perceived as a slight or a potential threat. There's this other angle of, um, hey, there are some things that we as companies, like the growth of, um, what's a good example here? Um, I don't know. If, if you're, if you're a, let's say you're a Binance or an FTX or one of these cryptocurrency platforms, when Coinbase goes, goes IPO and, and they go public, on one hand, you can, you can look at that and say like, wow, like, you know, that's a threat that's, you know, they're, they're doing this and they're strategically positioning themselves to be um, better than us in, in these ways. On the other hand, you can see that as like, hey, like on the backs of this IPO, there's been all this news coverage and all of this attention being paid to cryptocurrencies and these exchanges. Therefore, that may actually benefit us, um, you know, even if we're not in the, the US per se, right? Like it's a big deal that a cryptocurrency oriented firm has gone public and that just sort of kind of lifts the prospects of other players in the industry. So with those two as kind of like, um, I, I don't want to say like opposite ends of the extreme, but two different modes of competition. So there's competition and collaboration, everything else that you can imagine in between, right? There's just like so many nuances to ways in which um, firms compete. There's you know, I remember reading stuff from um, some faculty that uh, taught me in Minnesota on like how firms can use um, strategic patenting or disclosures of information almost as like warning signs to like, you know, indicate to other competitors, hey, this is my territory, like stay out. 
right? Um, on the other hand, that can be perceived as, hey, this is a strategic mistake because you've disclosed this information. So yes, even though you may have an advantage, your firm can look at that, understand what it is that you're working on, and they can plan around that or figure out ways that they can compete against you, right? And so there are all sorts of nuances. So I apologize, I can't give you like a, like a really clean answer to that question. Um, but it, it is around this balance of really kind of competing directly in almost an antagonizing or antagonistic way, um, while also understanding the importance of kind of um, the, the collaboration or the sort of externalities that may exist um, within an industry or within like a strategic group of companies.